I run a firm called Stefan Harry's, which is made up of myself and my business partner, Mike Harry's, and we specialize in development assessment planning. So that's kind of like, if you need approval for something, you're trying to build something, renovate something, develop something, that's where our expertise comes into it. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello everyone, and we're back with another episode of She Renovates, and today I have Alex Steffen, who is a town planner based in Brisbane, and so I first discovered Alex in my TikTok journey, and he has a very successful TikTok channel, and I just love how generous he is with his expertise. And I thought, given that we have quite a few Wonder Women who are looking at projects in Queensland, that it would be good to have Alex come on and talk about basically what he does and his business in Brisbane. So welcome, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you want to just give us a bit more of an idea of what you actually do, the types of projects you work on and and what renovators and developers might look to you for? Yeah, of course. Cool. Thanks for thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And it's good to uh, good to meet people from TikTok in the real world as much as this is still digital. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I'm a town planner. So we I run a firm called Stefan Harry's, which is made up of myself and my business partner, Mike Harry's, and we specialize in development assessment planning. So so that's kind of like if you need approval for something, you're trying to build something, renovate something, develop something, that, that's where our expertise comes into it. So if you ask me to plan a town, which is the name of what we do, town planning, I'd have absolutely no idea. So strategic planning, policy, climate change, all of that kind of stuff is a completely different realm to what we deal with here. We deal with more the... I want to build a five-story unit development. Can I do it? If so, we shuffle the paperwork, as we like to say, to get that approved. So yeah, so that's kind of what we do. And where we would really come into uh, any renovation or development project is firstly in the due diligence phase, making sure that what you want to do with the site can actually be done. And if it can be done, whether you need approval, and if it does need approval, what how you can kind of design what you're doing to have the best chances of success and to not waste any money or time. So our job is kind of fighting counsel for a living is generally what I tell people, which is as fun as you could imagine that being. <laughs> I've, I've had a tiny bit of experience with Brisbane City Council and I completely get it. I know, I know they're not that different to other councils, but they do have a few unusual um, requirements. Yeah. And, and that's almost like the biggest value that we add to a project. Like there's seven of us in, in our office and we're dealing with, I mean, we just ticked over to 4,000 um, applications. So we deal with council all day, every day, nonstop yeah. and not just Brisbane, all over Queensland. So we don't service outside of Queensland, unfortunately, but all over Queensland. So we know if this application lands on this person's desk, they hate this certain aspect of, of these projects. So we're going to have a bit of trouble around that so we can manage manage that 
appropriately. And likewise with like right now, Brisbane, Brisbane have notoriously been pretty anti infill development. Like they don't, they've always not supported high density developments or they have supported it, but they've made it very, very difficult to get them approved. You pretty much have to comply. And even if you comply, sometimes it's still a problem. Whereas now as you know, as of probably two or three months ago, now they're the opposite. And they're like, why are you only doing five stories? Why don't you do eight? They're actually trying to push development now. So without being involved with it all day, every day, if you just come in blind and try to try to do something, you know, despite being compliant or you think you're doing a good job and without the input of a town planner, it, it kind of does become pretty difficult. Yeah. And I always, like I often say to our women that, Really, when you when you're adding some sort of any sort of development or subdivision element to your project, your town planner is key in the due diligence process because while I think that adding some sort of land component really sort of spreads the um, market risk, it does add a whole lot of other complications to the deal that you need to work through. So. One of the things that I have always found quite challenging uh, when working with town planners is they often don't see it from your point of view. And like as and I know that you're really switched on in this department, that when you're coming to do a project that has an element of development in it, that you've got to get your head around all the things that have to happen. Um, in that process and what they're going to cost you in order to be able to figure out the end game. But my experience has been when I've gone to a town planner and said, I need to know what, what steps I have to take to get there. They sort of talk in double Dutch. They don't really, they don't really answer the question very clearly. So do do you have sort of a response to that? Yeah, so I suppose ultimately the, the job of a town planning consultant is to get your approvals. So yeah. so most planners kind of don't really care like what that end result is. They're just, they've got a job. Their job is to get it approved and however they can do that, that that's what they do. And if they get it approved, then that's tick. They've done their job and that's a win. Where our firm kind of differs a little bit is we do project coordination. So we'll actually manage the development right through to completion. So we have a really good grasp on the total cost for a project. Um, And we do, and as a firm, we do a lot of kind of not mentoring, but we are involved in a lot of groups and people who do mentoring. So we understand that we, we are trying to build long-term relationships with our clients and with clients who are mentors with their clients. So if we see a project come up and we're like one to two lot subdivision in Logan Central, you know, that like the sewers across the road, stormwater has to go through a neighbor. Like we know, well, that's going to cost 15 grand to put that stormwater line in and it's probably going to cost 20 grand to put the sewer in. And it's in the middle of Logan. Like that's probably not a good idea. Like if that, that's going to make that very risky. So we'll bring that up to them versus going, all right, Someone's engaged us to get a subdivision approval. Let's go do it. Here's your approval. Off you go. So we kind of go, well, look, we can get a, we can apply for that and we'll likely get it approved, but here's the two big risks that you've got. And we would recommend factoring that into your feasibility. And we have cheat sheets and we have a whole membership portal where we kind of help educate people on stuff like this. 
really, but really limited to the town planning world. So we're never going to tell people how to do a feasibility or what their tax requirements are or how to structure. We just say, you want, if you're trying to get into subdividing property, here's everything you need to know from a town planning point of view. Here's some spreadsheets with some costs in it from what we experienced. Learn from this and, and apply it to your particular situation. So yeah, we we're very, um, that. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and as part of that service, trying, not trying to spruik something, but it, it does add a lot of value that we we find five good development sites a week just on realestate.com or get submitted by off-market from people. And we put them in like a week, in our weekly kind of memberships portal and we provide an assessment of those sites and we provide videos and we kind of explain, like it's an educate, it's like half education, half like trying to help people find good sites. So where people I find get a lot of benefit is from the education side because they'll go, okay, I've just watched a video of Alex filtering how he filtered realestate.com. Then when he found the sites, how he researched them, what the main key issues that, that, that we found, how we overcome them, why we think it's a, still a good site to develop. And then, you know, then you can apply that learning to other situations. Yeah, so yeah, that's so that's something that we've been doing. We've got community forums and on all kinds of things, but it's really the education side that we're trying to push through because town planning is like this dark void of, of, of what this world that no one has any idea about, but has a huge and plays a huge crucial role in, in any kind of project, whether it's like a bathroom renovation or a 10 story mixed use development, like has the same impact. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, I must admit, I was subscribing to your five deals a week until I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this because I'm not planning to do a development in Queensland, but I love the concept. And I know I referred it to quite a few of our women because I think that's, yeah, it's good. So when someone like Let's say someone finds a deal. I don't. I think Christina Reed's been speaking to you about. She's been looking for a deal in Redcliffe. Yeah. So when yeah, Adam finds me- the deal, Adam. Yeah. I was going to say I had a meeting with her just yesterday. So oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there's a bit of a conundrum between like when that time between when you find the property and when you actually buy it. So obviously you need information before you actually become the owner. How do you manage that? Because obviously that requires work from you. So do you have that in a package where people can buy a package or what's the situation? Yeah. So all planners will be different in this, in, in how they handle these kinds of inquiries, but you're right. It's like, from where you buy it, from where you find the site to when you buy it is like this crucial time period where you need to have as much information as you can possibly get as to decide whether you make this massive investment. Um, so we do free inquiries. So if you have like, you're like, here's my site. I think it could be developed based on what the agent told me or what I know. And we'll have a very quick look at it and say like, yes, no, and these are your risks. Obviously not every inquiry is that simple. So sometimes it requires like a, Yes, no, maybe we probably need to spend an hour looking at it and talk and book it through. So in that case, we'll kind of say, look, you need to book in an hour of time. But most of the time, and most planners, and we've kind of dug this hole ourselves, that we'll, most of us are pretty happy to do an inquiry for free. But where where I and my passion is, is that education piece, because I try to empower our clients with 
the information to be able to make those calls themselves. And then usually where like they're just confirming what they've already found. So they kind of go, found this site in their brain. They already know it's in the low density site. I mean, lots of 400, 800 square meters, slopes towards the street, There's no street trees. Sewers out the front, water's out the front. The cost to lodge it's this. The general cost to develop it's going to be this. That stacks up. Yep, cool. And it takes them five minutes to make a call as to whether or not that's a good idea. Uh, and then usually what they'll do is go, hey, Alex, found the site. Here's all the things that I think are fine. Can I get your opinion? And then it takes me like two seconds to go, yep, spot on. Go for it. Yeah. So that kind of gives our clients that competitive edge in that decision making and to be able to snag a site very quickly um, versus the people who are like, oh, i got to talk to my planner. And then two days later, the planner gets back to me and goes, yep, it's a cracker of a site. And in the meantime, our clients have already got yeah. it under contract. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And so once you, let's once you've actually cornered the site, I know I did do a small development in Brisbane just because all my students were talking about splitters. So I thought I better go and do one. So I know like I've got this rule that I can't talk about something I don't know anything about. And so I yeah, did a cool. split up. And something that we did before we actually bought it was had a pre-DA meeting. Mm-hmm. Is that a common thing to do? To Yeah, yep. It depends. So so they're called pre-lodgement meetings. And a pre-lodgement meeting is kind of like a like a, a really scaled down dry run with council. So if you want to do something, you kind of, book in a meeting, depending on where it is, they'll either, the council will either charge you or they won't. And you kind of go, this is what we're trying to do. This is why we reckon it's a good idea. And then council kind of give you really yeah. blunt feedback as to whether or not you're going to have any problems. So it really depends on what you're trying to do. Like most of the time, the people at council who do those pre-logic meetings have far less experience in what they're talking about than what we generally do. So it's kind of like for a splitter, there's almost no like, these days, there's probably no point in having a pre-logic meeting about a subdivision of that size, okay. unless yep. you're trying to do something absolutely like outlandish in terms of a resolution for an issue. Um, but pre-logic meetings are a really good way that if you're trying to do something unusual, we can kind of package up a full justification for the unusual part of the development, put it to council and try to negotiate it before we even lodge it. So that saves people, for well, one, the cost of buying lemon, which could be mm -hmm. millions. And then also stays in the cost of the whole development application process, which cannot sometimes only be a couple of grand. But when you start going into your larger lot subdivisions and mixed use development, it's like deep into the hundreds of thousands. So yeah. if you just have that pre-lodger meeting and council goes, absolutely no chance, we'd never support that. And you go, okay, cool. Well, let's just leave yeah. it here and walk away. And have you found them to be fairly reliable? Do you Have you found that generally they stick to their word or when you come to lodge it, it's a different story. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a planner who hasn't been absolutely burnt by a pre-logic meeting, but most of the time what they say at the pre-logic meeting is what they go with when you lodge it. And that's a good and a bad thing. So sometimes you'll have a pre-logic meeting and an example that I can use, we lodged, we had a pre-logic meeting for a job where it had a biodiversity corridor running through the back and we had an ecologist just walk through the site and literally just say to us, like, mate, there's absolutely no ecological value here. So you don't need me at the pre-logic meeting, just tell them that. So we had the pre-logic meeting and council just picked an arbitrary number and went, there's a biodiversity corridor, so you need a 70 meters, 40 meter step back from that corridor. And we were like, well, there's nothing there. And they go, well, that's what we're saying. So they just wrote down 40 meters. And then we lodged the application 
with a 100 page report explaining why there's no corridor there and we don't need to protect anything because there's nothing to protect. But we got three or four sets of information requests and advice and outstanding matters relating to why we don't have a 40 meter setback. And I'm like, where did you get this 40 meter number from? And they're like, oh, it was in the pre-logic meeting, mate. You've known about it forever. And it's like, yeah, but you just picked that number at the pre-logic meeting. Like you didn't have any information. You just had someone sit there and go 40 meters, boom. And now like two years later, we're still arguing about this number. So sometimes it's really bad that they do that in a pre-logic meeting, but most of the time it's good because you can kind of clarify things at that pre-logic meeting stage. But yeah, everyone's been absolutely burned where they go, yep, no problems at all. We're totally happy to support that. We don't see any issues whatsoever. And then you lodge it and they go, withdraw the application because we're going to refuse it because of these issues. And you're like, well, we discussed those issues and you said you had no problems. So what's going on now? And then clients annoyed at us. We're annoyed at council. Council's annoyed with and everyone's upset. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so one of the things that uh, a lot of, well, pretty much everyone does is this back of the envelope calculation when they're doing the first sort of high level brush through. And generally what I do is I include around about 100,000 for a develop. Let's say I'm taking one into two for a subdivision. How foolhardy is that? These days, unfortunately, it's probably not a very good number to use. There's just so many things that can completely change how much a subdivision costs. And, and I actually have a whole TikTok on this where I was getting abused by people saying that I was wrong and, I, and I'm like mm, about 500 of these a year like I'm pretty confident in my numbers but yeah subdivisions these days can be completely changed in the cost because of one pipe like it can go from being 90 grand to 130 grand and then if you need like if it's in Logan for this like a great example if you're doing a subdivision in Logan a battle axe lot they'll make you put under underground electricity supply so that takes the cost. That, so if you did that in Brisbane, the cost for that electricity connection would be two to five grand. 10 meters away in Logan, that would cost 20 to 30 grand. So then it's like, so if you're just using 100 grand as your number, well, now it's become 20 to 30 grand more in Logan. Yeah. So it's not 100, yeah. it's 130. And then if you've got a battle axe lot, you'll have to build a driveway right up to the back. That's a $10,000 driveway plus fences all the way back there and conduits running the whole way up. So then that increases the cost by another 40 grand. So like your hundred grand estimates now become 180 grand. So yeah, it, it unfortunately kind of requires a bit of a feasibility done. Yeah. Per oh, site. Uh, yeah. I yeah. definitely do feasibility, but just in the first instance, when you're looking at something and I guess, yeah, you probably yeah. need to take that, those factors into account earlier in the process. Yeah. Yeah. If I personally was going to like just have a number that I just set sat with every, mm -hmm. for every single one, I'd probably go 150. Like okay. I think most of them are around that these days. Obviously yeah. things can make it more expensive. Things can make it way cheaper. But like, I think if you said 150, like 80% of the time, you'd probably come in on budget. Okay. That's great to know. And so what about council contributions or development contributions? So I know Brisbane City Council used to be thirty thousand a lot. What is yep. is it still that or what's it that? is? Yeah, yeah. So council, so I'm oh, probably showing my age, but 
probably 10, uh, 10 to 15 years ago, it was they could charge whatever they wanted, depending on what infrastructure was required in that street. Fortunate, and then you'd get these like $100,000 bills with two subdivisions, but they phase that out and the state government put in like a resolution where they can only charge a maximum amount. So of course, every single council charges that maximum amount. So in Brisbane, actually through the whole of Queensland, and I, don't, I haven't seen a council that charges less, for a one to two subdivision per new lot or per, per new dwelling, it's 31700 So, yeah. And it goes up every um, every year according to an index, which is basically tracked with inflation. So yeah. five years ago, so it was I 28 heard, grand, now it's 32. Yeah. So I heard recently that Brisbane City Council has relaxed that on... Uh, co-living properties is that the case there's always an incentive like in every every council has a different incentive depending on what kind of development they're trying to create at the moment so in brisbane there's discounts at the moment for people doing apartment buildings in certain areas and certain zones but probably what you're referring to is the roomy accommodation yeah so, sorry yeah so the co-living roomy accom definition so the state government allows you to do roomy comp up to five people across the whole of queensland now without approval so they've kind of made this blanket exemption there's a lot of intricacies to that so don't just go and do it definitely call a planner but yeah so brisbane changed the infrastructure charges resolution to basically say a suite is up to five people whereas previously they never said that which meant they could try they will and used to try to charge you per room which is 22 grand per room so your infrastructure charges to do a five-bedroom room com, which you don't even need approval for, still ends up being like 110 grand. Whereas now they've kind of capped that pretty solidly at 31 grand. But the credit for the existing house is 31 grand, so it ends up being zero. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah. complicated infrastructure charges. Is, there's actually planners who specialize just in infrastructure charges. So it's a whole nother world, just yeah. those calculations. I I really think that if our state governments are serious about um, providing more accommodation, they really need to look at that. Because I, I was talking to a developer out the west of Sydney who's developing, I don't know, about a 1,000 sites, and he said that now they pay 90000 per site in, in yeah, development contributions and another 90000 for water. Like... That's so crazy, the, yeah. So affordable accommodation in that development is a house that's cost $1.3 million. It's just stupid. But anyway. Yeah, and, and it's constantly sorry. getting more expensive. So that, that's, that's kind of, until you have a really good understanding of the full process, it's really hard to, like for the general public to realise why we have these problems, like why we have affordability problems. And, and, you can really see once you deal with it all day, every day, like how much no one actually cares and no one's actually doing anything other than creating new policies that don't actually make a difference or they make it more difficult and more expensive. And like a great yeah. example is, I think I, I saw just this week that there's a political party up here who's suggesting that maybe like that one of their policies or like to go for council or, um, or state government run is to re to get rid of the cap for infrastructure charges and and that that will put developers on notice to then make them do better developments like i and i'm just like i read it i'm like all that's going to do is increase the cost mm. like the the 
buy-in price, like the only way the developer's going to make money is to increase the amount of that sale by whatever the amount it increases by, or do a worse job and like do like cut the budget in the fittings or the finishings or the fixtures. And it's like it's a nut, like that is the worst idea I've ever heard. But the, to the general public, they're like, oh, perfect, like that's a great idea. And it's like, no, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. The developer's yeah. the one who's creating the housing. Like, don't punish yeah. them. Like, what are you doing? Absolutely. Anyway, so, rant complete. <laughs> I wish you were elsewhere in Australia, Alex, but we'll have to deal with that. But the the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that rooming accommodation in Queensland, because that's something that we as a group are particularly interested in because of the, you would know that women over 50, there's about a half a million that are at, at high risk of homelessness. And on the whole, a lot of women get a pretty raw deal and don't have a decent place to live. So we're quite keen on, on that strategy and working in that space. Now, when you say you don't need any approval, what do you actually mean? Yeah. So when I say no approval, I mean no planning approval. So so you'll okay. still need your build, you'll still need your building approval and things like that, but you don't have to essentially councils. What what the legislation says is council is prohibited from assessing it. So so they're not allowed to like change their planning scheme to trigger applications. So there's basically no way that they can control what you do, which kind of streamlines the whole the whole process because you don't have to go to council for three months or depending on where you are, six to twelve months. So it just kind of streamlines that whole process and you don't need a town planner involved, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but you're saying it's still important to work with a town planner? Yeah. I would definitely still run that past a town planner because like that part of the legislation has its intricacies and like one one small overlay in the 10 that affects the property can mean that it is accessible. So yeah. that's the importance of just going, I want to do a rooming accommodation here. Looks good from what I can see. I watched, watched the podcast. Alex said it should need approval. But I'll just run it past, yeah. Run it past yeah. us just to be sure, and we can. It'll literally spend two seconds to do it. So, for example, yeah. if you're in like a bush bushfire, actually not a bushfire, if you're in like a flood overlay or a heritage or a character, then it still triggers an application. Or sorry, That's... yeah, it doesn't trigger an application, but it means it's not exempt anymore. So you could still yeah. then comply, but council are allowed to assess it at that point, which is the the issue. So can I ask you about those particular properties? Are, are they able to have um, separate bathrooms, separate kitchens? Yeah, this is where it gets really tricky and it's kind of this like grey area between planning and building certification and um, the Residential Tenancies and Accommodation Act. So the definitions under the scheme say that a roomy accommodation is basically a, a shared um, house or shared building and this is definitely not word for word but it's essentially a, a shared building where people have a common intention to live together where none of the rooms can operate as self-contained so they kind of have to share some common facility most of the time we see that people can you have like a joint kitchen like a main kitchen and then everyone has their own en suites and kitchenettes so there's not like the idea being that if you were like going to cook a roast you couldn't cook it in your room you'd have to like go to the kitchen yeah. But if you just want toast and a cup of tea, then you can do that in your own room. But council can like kind of make that a problem if they want. And then 
certifiers also have their own opinions on what is self-contained and what isn't self-contained. And then council also have their own opinion as to whether or not people would genuinely have a common intention to live together. So the, the rule of thumb that I kind of use is like, if you're building a roomy accommodation, if you, if you think that the person who lived in bedroom one would have no idea who lives in bedroom five, then you've got a problem. And mm. so the idea is that if you're doing a roomy accom, it needs to be like, hey, you're moving into this house. That's your bedroom, but you share the house with everyone. Here's, you know, just mm. in room four and like you become friends and you all live together. So if, if that's the kind of setup and the vibe that's in the house, then that's fine. But if it's like, some accountant lives at the end and never, never seen them before, never interacted with them, no idea. And that's like, well, it's probably not operating as a roomy accommodation. You're not intending to live together. They're probably self-contained units, which are apartments. And then that's a whole different land use and a whole different range of issues, both from a planning scheme point of view and from a building code compliance point of view. So, so that we're talking about the 1B yeah. classification, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. And is that's required to have an accessible room? Yeah. Interestingly, it's not a planning issue. So it's actually a building certification issue. So from our point of view, my official answer is I have no idea. <laughs> but okay. but I believe yes, you do, from, yeah. from my understanding. Yeah. I know there were some like a lot of people circumventing that. I don't know how successfully by based on the definition of what it is a dwelling and by leaving out a not putting a sink in the kitchen only having one sort of basin in the in the room one in the bathroom that they believed that they'd circumvented that that part of the law but yeah I guess that's how they do it yeah 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 that's right so so what they do is they'll have an on like and this is where again it's like this gray area so whether or not you need to have to do this or not. But yeah, what a lot of people do is they have a, they leave the kitchenettes out because some certifiers and council have an issue with the kitchenette. And what they do is they'll have an ensuite and then a vanity basin outside the ensuite, which is basically a sink in the yeah. living quarters that they say is part of the ensuite. And then you go in there one, the day after they're created and there's a, next to the vanity sink, there's a, a toaster and a, a little oven. There's, yeah. Top of, top of the bench ovens. So, so yeah, that's how a lot of them get around it. And then the idea is that if someone complains about it and council come and investigate, then the owner or the developer can go like, oh, well, hang on, that's not meant to be there. I did, like I told them they're not allowed to have a toaster there. That's meant to be a vanity for the putting on makeup or whatever. So yeah. that's kind of yeah. like how people kind of go around the edges. But It seems yeah. crazy though, doesn't it? But anyhow, I guess that's the, that's the way <laughs> it is. Yeah, and I, yeah. I guess laws are made to keep everyone safe. Well, yeah. Or is it a rule for the sake of a rule? That's the, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, just, it's kind of, like in my world, I thought I was going to be out of a job in like 2008. And it's like since then, it's got like 700 times more complicated. So without, it's one of those things where it's like, without us existing, it's like, I don't know how anyone would possibly navigate this world. But then with us existing, it's probably created that world. So, yeah. Yeah, things. I well, I think no, I think that yeah, without you, we wouldn't be able to do anything because we'd be getting ourselves into hot water all the time. So, I think that town planners are a gift to our our industry. So, <laughs> can I? I'll, there's a record. This is being recorded, right? I'll have to. I'll have to print that. 
have to print that one off and put it on my resume. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, listen, I want to say thank you for sparing the time to be with us today. And we'll definitely link to your program because I think for anyone that's considering development in in Queensland, the more information you can get, the better. And the opportunity to work with a town planner who is actually willing to educate is just, yeah, extraordinary. So thanks for being so generous with your time and your information. And we'll make sure that people get their inquiries directed to you. Awesome. Yeah. And thanks for having me. I always, as you can tell, I love talking about this kind of stuff and educating people and helping them essentially make money because the more money our clients make, the more likely they're going to get onto the next deal, which makes me more money. Absolutely. So beautiful reoccurring door. <laughs> so, yeah, ecosystem. ecosystem. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks so, yeah, again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.